Good morning, everyone. If we have not met before, my name is Tim, and it's my privilege this morning to continue in the series of James. I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bible or electronic device to James chapter 1. Today we're going to be looking at verses 19 to the end of the chapter, which is verse 27. Uh, I'm going to read through this text, and I'm going to invite you to read with me out loud. And I know we just invited you to sit down, but I'm now going to invite you to stand up again. And as we stand, to read God's Word together. So um, I'll lead. Hopefully we'll be in unison. It'll be in the same version on the screen, uh, ESV. Verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, He is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Thank you. You may be seated. We have just read what in Christian circles is often referred to as the Word of God. The Word of God is the Bible, the revelation of the person and character of God and His plan for the cosmos, for the world, and for us. And this morning, we were privileged to read it in our own language of English. This has not always been the case. The Bible was first translated into English in the 1300s by a man named John Wycliffe, among others. And they did so with great opposition uh, from the religious leaders who felt that the, the Bible should stay in the language of Latin and not be translated into the everyday common language of the people. They felt it was like casting pearls before swines. Nevertheless, Wycliffe and others uh, persisted. Wycliffe was able to die a natural death, but people were so opposed to him and what he stood for and what he believed and what he pushed for that uh, his bones were dug up, crushed, and thrown into a river. John Huss, who was touched by the life of Wycliffe and who fell in love with Scripture and all that it meant and pushed forward for this love to translate the Bible, was not so fortunate in that he was burned at the stake using some of the Wycliffe transcripts to light the fire. Fast forward to the 1500s, And the Bible is first printed into English uh, through William Tyndale. Tyndale was uh, a man who also suffered lots of persecution, and his work cost him his life. 
He was incarcerated for 500 days and also burned at the stake. If Wycliffe and Huss and Tyndale could have seen what it is like for us today, the privilege that we have to access the scriptures in our own language and and how it's been translated across the world in so many languages and how we can access it here in, in Canada to study, to read it, to sing it with so much freedom, I believe they would have wept. And they would have supposed that this free access to to God's word like this would transform the church and transform the world that the church lives in. And this is James' hope as well. And as we read James, though, we see it is not always the case. I'd like to begin this morning with a word of prayer as we dive into this text from James. Lord, we come before you this morning, and as we've already sung, God, we are so blessed in you because of what you've done because of your faithfulness to us we stand here indebted to you and God we thank you for giving us the word Jesus Christ who lived among us but we thank you also Lord that you've given us a written revelation whereby we can learn about Jesus learn about you father learn about the Holy Spirit and understand your plan for us in this world more fully I'm asking this morning, Lord, as we look at this particular scripture, that your Holy Spirit would come, would open our eyes, put within us a thirst to hear you, to know you through it. And Lord, at the end, I'm asking that you would speak to each one of us, what does this mean for for me? What do I now do? All for your glory, Lord, we commit this to you in Jesus' name. In this passage in James chapter 1, starting in verse 19, James outlines two outcomes, two potential outcomes for living. One is quite negative, one is quite positive. And it all depends, it rests on how you respond to the Word of God. So we begin, James says, with listening. Know this, my beloved brothers, verse 19, let every person be quick to hear. Now, the verses that bump up just before this, James has talked about how God has birthed his people. He has brought us forth by the word of truth. People are given a new life in God through his word, that they are to become a a first fruits of his creatures. They're they're a new creation, a new, new unique identity of people special to God. That's what we are because of the word of truth. It's so powerful. It recreates a new humanity. And this powerful word, we are to be quick to hear. Now, I think you can read this uh, verse 19 in James 1 that we should, be, we should always be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. I mean, that should be our, our, the way we operate in life. But in particular, I believe James is getting at, we need to be quick to hear the word of God. He goes on to say that we do that by putting away everything that could get in the way, all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Get all the crud out of your life and receive this word. How do we do that? He says with meekness. Bring yourself under it with humility. Listen, be quick, bring humility to it. This implanted word, for it has the ability to save your souls. That word, that word of truth, we could also refer to it as the gospel. 
as we believe the gospel, the good news, the message, the, the teaching of who Jesus is and what he's done for us, we experience a new birth. But it's not supposed to end there. The same gospel that, that we are birthed by is the gospel that is to bring us into our ultimate salvation, future tense, but also for us to experience the benefits of that salvation in our life, in the here and now. Alec Mochier, uh, a theologian, said, Throughout our life of Christian development, we promote the growth of the new nature by facing with it the same message, which is the inner secret of its life. Growth follows as we receive more fully the word which has been made us children of our Father, the word of truth, verse 18, which as we have seen, James would identify with the word of Scripture. We more fully receive that word as we, as we approach it with humility, as we're quick to listen, to hear it. But this morning, James is going to go on and he says, it's not enough just to be where you are today, sitting, listening, hearing the word. Even if you're doing it in humility, that's not enough. James goes on, verse 22, and be doers of the word and not hearers only. A while back, I attended a um, theological institution just right on the borderline of UBC. It's called Regent College, and uh, they're putting on a, a course that I really wanted to take, and I had a busy schedule in my life, so I decided to take, not take the course for credit. When you take a course for credit, um, if you pass, those credits can be used to, uh, to go towards a degree. I decided not to do that. Um, when, you, when you don't take it for credit, they have a term for it. They call it auditing. So I, I just audited the course. And it's easy to audit a course. You can take great delight in what is being taught, but nothing is required of you. Uh, the financial investment is even less. You, you pay less to audit a course than you do to take it for credit. And, and certainly the investment of effort is less because you don't have to write any papers that are going to be marked and graded. You don't have to wrestle with things, do research, come up with a, a thesis statement that is a perspective on a particular point of view that you have to defend and, and, and write and it's going to be scrutinized by your professor. You don't have to do any of that. In fact, your professor might even know you're ever in the class. It's so easy. But I hardly remember anything from that class. Why? Because I was there just listening. First century Greeks had a term for someone who would listen to a teacher and just listen. That they would listen to a teacher but had no intention of becoming that teacher's disciple. They called that person a hearer. A hearer. And this morning James is telling us, be a doer of God's word. Not a hearer only. Be a doer. James is going to illustrate that for us. So if you look in verse 23, he says, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. Isn't this interesting? Like this was written like thousands of years ago. And in, in this way, nothing has changed in human civilization. People get up in the morning and what do they do eventually? You look at a mirror, right? You look at a mirror. Why do we do that? Because we want to make sure that when we go out into the world that we're going to look respectable. So you look at a mirror to see what changes need to happen as much as possible. What can I change so that when I go out, I look respectable? And so you look at the mirror, you make changes, and then you go out. 
So uh, I do this all the time. In fact, you know, thinking about this, I look in a mirror every day. Sorry, does that make me vain? I bet you you do the same thing. You look in the mirror because we just, that's what we do. And then we make corrections. We make changes. We make adjustments to make sure everything is all right. So when I do that, um, you know, hair, make sure the hair is right. But also, I don't like a lot of facial hair, and so I shave. And so uh, some guys use a, an electric razor. I use the real blade, man. You get it really close when you use the real blade. There's only one problem with that, though. Sometimes the blade cuts. I mean, you don't want it to, but you just press too hard in the wrong place, and it cuts. And so most often, they're just minor cuts. You take a little water. You splash it on there. It's all gone. Some of you men know what I'm talking about, right? But every once in a while, and it just happens to be when you're in a hurry, it won't go away. It, won't, it just it bleeds again. Oh, man, it bleeds again. And so what do you do? You, find a little, you just rip off a tiny piece of toilet paper, and you stick it right there. And, and um, you're hoping it's going to absorb it, and in a little while it'll be dry. You can pull it off. All will be good. In the meantime, you put it on there. You go have breakfast, and your intention is that you're going to come back, look in the mirror, take it off. But on, on, on a particular morning, you might be so busy, you're in a rush, and you forget and you go to the office, and what happens? <laughs> you know, snickering in the office, and you become the joke of the office for that day. It's embarrassing. James says the person who looks at the word is like that. They're looking at a mirror, and then they leave, and they forget. They make no adjustments. Nothing changes. I invite us to live like that in the natural way this week and just see how bizarre that would be to wake up in the morning look at yourself in the mirror and then do absolutely nothing about it and do it for a whole week what's going to happen i don't know what you look like when you get up in the morning but my hair's not always in the right place right so you get the duck look sometimes or you get the flatty pancake look you get all kinds of looks and, and, and sometimes, you know, you, you want the hair that should be there in the right place, but sometimes there's hair you want to get rid of. That hair shouldn't be there. And so, boom, it's gone. You do all those things. You make sure there's no sweaters on your teeth. Make sure your face doesn't look greasy. You do all that stuff. But imagine every morning waking up, looking at the mirror, and doing absolutely nothing. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. What's going to happen? Well, if you're working for somebody, it's not going to go well with your employer because they're going to go like, what's up with you? Hey, what's, you know, probably by Wednesday or Thursday, you're going to get called into the office about your hygiene. And if you continue in that way, by Friday, you probably don't have a job anymore. There are serious consequences to looking in the mirror and doing nothing about it. James 1.22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. See, there are spiritual consequences when we look at God's word, when we listen to it, we hear it, and like looking to a mirror, making absolutely no adjustments, doing nothing about it. We deceive ourselves, James says. Now, deception, what is that? Deception is when you believe something to be true, but in reality, it's not. Something else is the truth. William Tyndale was a subject of deception, he was, uh, he was deceived by a friend who thought, Tyndale thought he was taking him out for dinner, but in fact, this man was taking him out for dinner so that he could be captured and he was incarcerated and eventually killed as a result of that. 
The deception that James is talking about, we read in verses 16 and 17, there's one kind of deception, and that is, he says there, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. One of the, one of the, one of the first deceptions is that we don't really believe that God is good. That we're deceived into doubting God and we're deceived into thinking that all the good stuff isn't from him. James James says, don't be deceived about that. As he goes on here, he's talking to us, don't be deceived about this. Don't be deceived that you can hear the word of God and be just listening and that that's okay. Don't, Don't think that's all right. Jesus basically told us the same thing. If we look at Matthew chapter 7, He says, there, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And then Jesus gives the illustration of of, uh, building a house and what kind of foundation do you build. And if you want to build your house on the rock so that it withstands the storms of life, you need to do the will of God. That's the one that builds his house on a rock, the person who does the will of God. Don't be deceived, James says but be doers of the word and not hearers only. The sad part of this deception is that we're not being deceived by some some outside force. James says, "Don't don't let yourself deceive yourself. You can't just listen to the word. You've got to act on it. Now, as a person who teaches the word of God and who has read the letter of James uh, many times, I know that as a teacher of God's word, I come under greater responsibility because I teach this. In James chapter 3, it talks about the responsibility of a teacher. Don't let many of you be teachers because it's a greater responsibility. How is it that you can teach the word of God and still struggle with acting on God's word? Well, it's, it's the reality. It's true. And why is that so? Why would I, as a person who teaches it, still struggle? Well, James has told us. From within, our, our desires from within, they want to pull us away from God. And I've seen in my own life and in, in conversations with others that there are, there are four barriers that, that we have when it comes to actively doing the Word of God, and I'm sure there's more, but here's four that come to mind. The first of all is, the first one is authority. I like to be in charge of my own life. I, I don't really like what, when someone else tells me what to do, and so even when it's God, sometimes I want to be the one who's in control. Secondly, there's compartmentalization, which I think is connected to authority. Compartmentalization is where we say to God, God, have your way in my life in this area and this area and this area, but not this area. And we compartmentalize places in our life or maybe even our time. Sunday's God's day, Monday to Friday, maybe not so much. Another barrier is simply doubt, which James has already addressed, that I don't really believe that God is Good, and so I'm not sure I want to do his word because sometimes what God asks us to do is not easy to do and you really have to trust that he has your good in mind. And then lastly, sometimes I think we simply have a misunderstanding of grace. And I may think that, well, God's grace covers my, the things that I do wrong or the things that I, I don't do that I should do. That it doesn't matter because grace covers it all. 
Titus chapter 2 talks a little bit about that. And it talks about what grace actually teaches us. For the grace of God has appeared, he says, bringing salvation for all people. What does grace do? It trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession. That's first fruit language who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Authority, compartmentalization, doubt, misunderstanding grace. As you read James and you read the whole letter, I mentioned when we first started, there are like almost 60 imperatives in the book of James. 60 places where James is saying, do this. And it'd be so easy to read this letter and misunderstand James and think it's like this, this letter seems so legalistic. It, in fact, Martin Luther is one of the great reformers who, who fought against, you know, works that we need to work towards God's righteousness, God's justification. He called James the epistle of straw because I think he misunderstood it. Let me explain. James is speaking to a particular audience or to us when we are in a particular place in our relationship with God. Recently, I was reading a, a secular book called Capacity by a father and son, the Johnsons. And in it, they talked about how people respond to situations and, and stressful situations. Sometimes people respond in what they call the bear mode, which would be to fight or flight, but it's activity. Like they're, gonna, they're going to engage with activity. Sometimes people respond with a possum mode. That is, they become, they withdraw, they become apathetic. The message to the bear mode is not get on it, get going. The message to that is rest, calm down, rest. But the message to the possum is you need to do something. To the apathetic, you need to get going. Take a step, do. I think we need to understand that that when we're in that place, when we're apathetic to the hearing of God's word, when, when we find ourselves just in the same place, disobedient, that's when James is talking to us through his letter here. And he's saying, don't just be a hearer. Be a doer. Put God's word into practice. Now in verse 25, James is going to describe what it looks like to put it into practice. And again, he's, he's given us one example with a bad outcome. The person who looks into the mirror and does nothing about it, now we would expect he's going he's gonna to contrast that with looking into a mirror and then doing something about it. But he uses different language to clarify things. The one who is a doer, he says, looks into, and we would expect, okay, if it's not the mirror, we know the mirror represents the word of God, the word of truth, but he doesn't use that word either. He says, the one who looks into the law. And, and, and he phrases it with an unusual combination that we would say, these two don't go together. The law of liberty. The one who gazes into the law of liberty. This is the, this is the doer. That's the one. And who acts on what it says. That law is a perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer, who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. 
James is giving us a prescription uh, for God's blessing that counteracts those four barriers that I talked to. Authority. Law speaks to authority. Law is the authority. James is saying there's a higher law, and it speaks to your life. He says this is a perfect law. Now, sometimes when we think of the word perfect, we think it's speaking of without flaw, and that is true, but perfect can also mean like it covers everything. And this is true of, of, of the law and what, uh, and what James is talking about. It covers everything. There's no place in my life that God's word does not touch. And so it, it can't be like Jesus on Sunday, but no Jesus on Monday to uh, Friday. It can't be Jesus, I want you in my problems, but no Jesus, you, you, you can't mess with my wallet. It's it's perfect. It's complete. It touches every area of our life. Now, when James is talking about the law, I think uh, I would argue James is not talking about the Old Testament law, although there, there are shades of it in what he's talking about. He quotes some of the Old Testament in his letter. But I believe James is talking about the old, what flows through in the interpretation and person of Jesus who fulfills the law. I think he's talking about the law of Christ. You see, we can't be birthed. We're not birthed into new life, as he talks about in verse 18, through the Old Testament law. We're birthed into new life through the word of the gospel of Jesus Christ, what's found in him. James is referring to the law of liberty in Jesus. If we struggled with doubt about God's goodness, we need to know that this law is a law of liberty. It brings us into freedom. If we struggle with what grace looks like, know that, that James says this law brings you into a place where you are blessed. You're blessed in the doing after the hearing. Don't be deceived, but be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. Some of you know I, I'm a tennis fan. Some of you know I play tennis. And some of your opinions, I play it well. Some of your opinions is I don't play it very well. So uh, that's fine with me. But it's, tennis is so great because all you need is a racket and a ball, maybe a good pair of shoes and good weather. That's it. And you need an opponent and away you can go. You can, you can play. But you know, have you ever noticed in the, in the game of tennis, there's all kinds of restrictive things around the game. There are barriers. There's a net. What's with that? It's getting in the way. There are lines. Somebody's telling you where you can hit the ball and where you shouldn't hit the ball. Do's and don'ts. There's fences. What's with that? It's all good. It's all good. I stood in a parking lot just on pavement with a, with a racket and a ball and no no tennis court to play in with barriers and lines and nets and thought about just hitting it back and forth to another person. It's no fun at all. See, the restrictions and the barriers and, and what's given there actually make that game what it is. Fun, enjoyable, great. So it is with God's perfect law. The law of Christ, it brings us into liberty. Are there guidelines? Are there things we should do, things we shouldn't do? Absolutely. Is it about earning God's approval? No way. James would be horrified if he thought you had to do and do and do to somehow earn God's approval. What he's talking about, how, how you live your life because you have God's approval so that you can walk into liberty and live a life in partnership with God whereby you are blessed in the doing, 
in the doing. Don't be a hearer only. Be a doer. William Tyndale, his, his story is amazing. He was a man who um, was uh, of great conviction, obviously, for what he did. And he was determined to live out his life in a consistent way. He said, my part be not in Christ, if mine heart be not to follow and live according as I teach. In other words, my life is only right if I'm not just a hearer and a teacher, but a doer. On Monday nights, Tyndale used to visit uh, re religious immigrants, if you will, in England and minister to them. On Saturdays, he would walk the streets and minister to the poor. On Sundays, he would meet with the merchants in the evening and read to them and discuss the Scriptures. He was a doer. James finishes this section in chapter 1 with three examples of what it looks like to be a doer. He says, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Three examples of, of what it begins to look like to be a doer, to be one who acts on God's word. In this case, he talks about like maintaining our tongue, the words that we speak, social justice, looking after the orphans and the widows, and personal holiness, keeping oneself unstained from where our culture is pushing us in the opposite direction of where God wants us to be. So here we are this morning. We've heard God's word. We've listened. What does he want you to do? It wouldn't be unusual that God has already been speaking to you in your life and where you're at today as to what he's calling for you to do. What is your, what is your next step, having looked into his mirror, having, having looked into his word? What is your next step? What does he want you to do? I would suggest we need to make it a pattern in our life where we are quick to hear, where we give space and room for God's word and we approach it with humility and we're seeking it to know God better but also to hear what adjustments do you want to make in my life? What do you want me to do? Where do you want me to partner with you? We hear and do. What is that for you this morning? Where is God calling you into as an act of being a follower, a disciple of Jesus Christ? I'm going to give us a couple of moments to consider that individually. Um, the team here is just playing in the background. Let's just take a few moments and... Have a conversation with God. God, here we are. I've heard your word. What are you saying to me? Let's take a moment to do that, and then I'll close in prayer. Father, this morning I want to thank you. Thank you for sending Jesus, the Word of God. I want to thank you, Lord, that 
we have the privilege today to live in a time in history and a place in our world physically where we have the scriptures translated in our language. We get to read it. We get to hear it. We get to know you better. Thank you, Lord, for men and women who are willing to sacrifice their lives for this privilege we take for granted today. And it points us to you, Jesus, how you sacrificed your life in a much greater way that we could live. We thank you for your guidelines. We thank you for your truth that lead us into liberty and life. My prayers for each one of us this morning, God, where we are with you, whatever that next step is, Lord, would you help us to hear what you are saying and give us the courage, the boldness, whatever it takes, Lord, to act on it, knowing we'll be blessed as we do. I pray for grace just to flow throughout this place today. I pray, Lord, for motivation from the heart, for love for you, for love for people around them. I pray you'd unleash your church, Lord. Stir us out of our apathy. Help us to be what you've called us to be, what you've already made us to be, Lord. Your sons, your daughters, birthed by your word of truth. On the road to full and complete salvation. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.